Welcome to North Main Street Church of God's Sunday Sermon Series online, March the 29th. Glad you're joining us again this Sunday while we're in lockdown due to the coronavirus. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been going through a series entitled Joy in the Promise. And today is our last Sunday for that series. We're going to be closing out Joy in the Promise. As we've been going through the Old Testament, uh, along with our reading plan for this year to get through the Bible, We've looked at um, every character and most scenarios all the way up to the book of 2 Samuel, which is where we'll be today to close out this series. And today's sermon is entitled, Restorative Joy. Before we get to that, and as I mentioned before, we normally would have an opportunity in our regular services for you to worship and sing along with us. Um, we did upload a Spotify playlist to our Facebook site. So if you want to go ahead and log on to there after this morning's service or anytime during the week that you can sing along and, and, and praise God in your own home from the comfort of your own home. We would also be taking up an offering and due to the circumstances, we can't do that physically. Um, if you are stay at home and you are unable to get online uh, with regard to um, uploading your uh, your tither offering electronically, uh, you can you can mail that in to North Main Street Church of God, twelve o one North Main Street Extension, Butler, Pennsylvania. Or if you can get online and you would like to give online electronically, you can go to our website, www.northmaincog.org, and there is a Give tab at the top of the page. Just click on that Give tab and follow the prompts, and it'll instruct you how to, how to do that. And also, we started last week uh, a text to give, uh, and I believe uh, somebody did that, so thank you for doing that. Uh, if you want to text to give from the comfort of your home or even when we get back into uh, the routine of coming to a physical location again, you could do that. The number to text is 30131. That number is 30131. Instead of where your phone number would go, that's where that would go. 30131. And then in the text dialog box, you would type the number that you'd like to give and whole numbers. Uh, so 20, if you're wanting to give $20, it'd be 20. And then the letters N-M-G-I-V-E. So it's 20 N-M-G-I-V-E. 20 is just an example. Uh, please give as the Lord leads and, and don't feel compelled to give if, if, uh, if you don't want to. That's okay. Uh, as I was preparing for this week's message and how to close this series out, um, I came across the passage of, of David, who is now king over Israel, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> and he is remembering his close friendship with his friend Jonathan. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I came across this idea of friendship, or I'm thinking about this idea of friendship as I'm looking at this passage and how friendships do truly bring us joy. Uh, thinking about that, I came across this, this article in a British publication. It actually at one time offered a prize for the best definition for a friend. And among the thousands of answers that they received, uh, here were the following top answers. A friend is one who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. 
Two, one who understands our silence. Three, a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. And four, a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. However, there was a winning definition that made it that year. And it says this, a friend is one who comes in when the whole world goes out. In the Old Testament books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, <clears throat> we see the stories of the first king of Israel uh, by the name of Saul. He's chosen to be the first king of Israel. He has a son named Jonathan, who technically would be a prince of Israel. And then David comes upon the scene as a shepherd boy after same, or after Saul has been rejected by God because of his disobedience and doing things his own way, uh, God determines to have another king anointed um, for the nation of Israel. And through the line of Jesse, or the house of Jesse, who is David's father, David is anointed king by the prophet Samuel, and later on will rise to the throne after Saul. <clears throat> but David becomes a part of the court of Saul prior to his becoming a king, uh, and he becomes really close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, which is what we're going to hone in on today and talk about. This friendship was so deep, in fact, that it extended beyond the grave. Uh, Jonathan and Saul eventually would die in battle while David is off uh, in a different place, uh, still hiding himself from Saul, who was trying to kill him. But out in battle, Saul and Jonathan die on the battlefield. Word gets to David, and David is just horribly grieved over the fact that Saul, who was his enemy at this point, and Jonathan, who was his closest friend, had died on the battlefield. A few years later, David's now on the throne, and we see him in 2 Samuel chapter 9, um, reminiscing and thinking about his friend Jonathan. And then we start with verse 1, and this is how it reads. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, and I'm reading from the New Living Testament this morning. One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? the king asked. Yes, sir, I'm Ziba, replied. I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yeah, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet, though. Well, where is he? the king asked. In Lodibar, Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Oh, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness, uh, kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. And I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. 
Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him and to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you have commanded. From that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. So why do I bring that up and what's the whole point behind this message this morning? And the key point is this. True friendship is hard to find. Would you agree with me on that? I know that based on my own life lessons. True True friendship is hard to find, but true friendship that lasts a lifetime bears the seeds of joy and restoration. And that's the key point this morning. So what can we learn about the endearing qualities of true friendship through David's actions in this passage and through the friendship that he had with Jonathan? Well, here's what we can learn. The first thing is the seed of David's friendship to Jonathan took root in his action towards Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. If you remember from the book of 1 Samuel, God had rejected Saul, like I just mentioned. Saul was waiting on Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice before he went into battle, as would have been necessary by the priests of the time. And Samuel was delaying his presence. Saul took it upon himself to go ahead and offer the sacrifice to God anyway. Thus, basically doing what he shouldn't have done. It wasn't his position to do that. God was not happy with that, neither was Samuel. He should have waited upon the Lord. He should have waited upon Samuel to give that sacrifice. The second time is that Samuel, or excuse me, Saul is told to take over a certain city and to wipe it out completely, to not take any of, of the people alive. And instead, he keeps the main leader or the king of that town alive and brings him back. This is the point where God says, I'm done. Now, it seems a little harsh, but I'm giving you the most brief version I can without going into great detail about it right now. But through just a series of disobedient behaviors, God finally has had enough with Saul and says, I'm rejecting him. I'm sorry I ever made him king because he won't listen to me. He won't do what he's told and he won't not do what he's not told. So I'm done with Saul. And now we have David who has to run for his life while Saul is still king. This is where we get a lot of the Psalms. Not all of the Psalms of David uh, are written in the wilderness, but many of them are written while he's out running from Saul for fear of losing his own life. Uh, And you've heard me mention before, Psalm 23 is one of those Psalms 
where he's writing, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He goes through that and he talks about these deep valleys of the shadow of death. And he says in those places he'll fear no evil because he know that God's with him. In those types of places where where David in the Psalms is writing about God, take care of my enemies, banish my enemies from me, help me as I go through these deep dark valleys. It's when he's on the run from Saul. But David won't lift a hand to fight against Saul because he still believes that Saul is one of God's anointed. But can you understand the, the weird paradox here in having a really close friend, your best friend, his father is your enemy. It had to be really tough for David. It had to be super tough for Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan had a loyalty and friendship to David that went beyond the throne. He didn't care if he, if he took over the throne after his dad died. He didn't care at all. All he cared about was the close friendship that he had with David. We all have friends. Uh, at least at some level, we all have acquaintances or some that are closer than family. The difficulty is that in finding a friend who truly loves us in spite of ourselves. Have you found somebody that loves you in spite of yourself? Hopefully, if you're married, that's your spouse. And your spouse, hopefully, is your best friend. They know you warts and all. Uh, this, this someone, this friend is someone who's willing to overlook our idiosyncrasies and see the good and the worth in us in spite of our own insecurities. This type of friendship is forged not only in the good times of life, but more often than not during the most difficult times of life. These friendships are the ones that you can pick up where you left off, even if you've been apart for years at a time. Do you have friends like that? These friendships are the ones that fill in the gaps when gaps is all that we have to offer. These friendships are able to survive the greatest tragedy and scale the highest, most challenging mountains that test all resolve in our life. This kind of friendship is the kind of friendship that David and Jonathan have. Do you have that kind of friendship or relationship with somebody in your life? David and Jonathan's friendship was forged in difficulty and fraught with complication due to the hatred of Jonathan's father, Saul, toward David. But their friendship thrived under pressure. Do your friendships thrive under pressure? Or when the going gets tough, do your friends get running? Or, let me ask that on the flip side, when the going gets tough in one of your friends' lives or your family members' lives, you become, faint, uh, or you become very scarce in their life. When they call, you avoid their phone calls because you know they're just going to be talking about X, Y, or Z and you just don't want to hear it anymore. What is that like for you? Are you a true friend like Jonathan and David were to each other, to somebody else? Now, years later, David, after Jonathan and Saul have died on the battlefield, he's probably reminiscing about this friendship. We aren't told, but I believe that he's probably thinking back and has fond memories of the times that he was with Jonathan and, and the friendship and the camaraderie they had together. And it happens to occur to him, I wonder if anybody is alive from the line of Jonathan. I know he had kids at one time, but are any of his kids still alive? Does he have any descendants? And so, hearing of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, 
David's joy becomes renewed and his heart warmed with a desire to extend the benefit of that friendship to Jonathan's son. Surely the words of the psalmist are true. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin, or a true friend sticks closer than a brother. The second point this morning is this. The kindness given to Mephibosheth was an extension of David's friendship to Jonathan. David's friendship to Jonathan, as I mentioned earlier, went well beyond the grave. His loyalty and compassion for his friend drove him to seek out Jonathan's son. Do you have friendships or relationships like this? You see, before the fall, before the fall in Genesis chapter 3, this is what relationships look like. They were perfect. They were People lived together in harmony. Adam and Eve didn't hold anything back from each other because there was no reason to. There was, they were completely and utterly transparent with one another. There was complete harmony within the created order and within their relationship. They showed compassion and they lived in perfect oneness together. Can you imagine what it would be like to live like that? The problem happens when sin enters the world and the health and the wholeness of relationship is dashed against the rocks, not only for Adam and Eve, between Adam and Eve and between Adam and Eve and God and the rest of creation, but for generations after, even to our day, <clears throat> relationships are horribly mangled at times. True friendship is hard to come by. True Clear, healthy relationships are hard to find. Marriage is difficult at best to have to navigate together, to learn to communicate, to share your needs, desires, and want, and to not be selfish. That's hard. So how do we overcome those difficulties? What's the difference in the way that it was versus how it is now? And how do we get back to the way it was before sin entered the world? We worry, don't we, oftentimes, if others are out to get us, we become suspicious. If somebody really wants to be our friend, don't we find ourselves asking, well, why are they being so nice to me? What, what, why are they doing this? What, what are the, what's up their sleeve? What's the motive behind that? I've had people talk to me in times past at different churches. When I come to them and I talk to them, they think I've got an agenda before I come and talk to them. And I usually don't. I love to talk to people. I love to connect with people. And they say, Pastor, what? okay, what do you want? Do you want more money? Do you want more of this for the church? What do you want? And no, I don't. I just want to connect with you and talk with you. Why are we so suspicious? Why do we worry so much about what other people think? And why do we worry so much <clears throat> about the motives of others? Yes, it, it's important to be cautious. Don't get me wrong. We shouldn't throw complete caution to the wind because we do live in a world where Evil is present and prevalent, and we have to stay on guard because the enemy does prowl like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But do we always need to keep our guard up? I don't think so. I don't think that's healthy, especially for a believer in Christ. Maybe you have broken relationships or friendships that need to be restored or mended. Maybe there are things that you need to say Words of forgiveness that need to be asked of or offered to somebody else. 
maybe the hope of restoring or reconciling a relationship or friendship has come, come and gone because that person in your life has passed away. Whatever the case, you have an opportunity to extend true friendship and true joy to others through the seeds of reconciliation and restoration. You can still forgive a person that has passed on from this life because you need to. Now, I've heard the debates. You can't forgive unless they ask for forgiveness. And we can debate that till we're blue in the face. Here's where I stand on that. Here's where I believe scripture would have us stand on that. Is to offer forgiveness is something we are to do to anyone, whether they've asked for it or not. Just as Jesus offered forgiveness, whether we asked for it or not. Now, whether or not we receive that forgiveness is different than offering it. We can have forgiveness in our hearts toward those that have hurt us, that have accused us, betrayed us, rejected us, abused us. Because if we don't have that kind of forgiveness in our hearts, the problem is that we continue to be controlled by that same person that we don't have forgiveness toward. We continue to allow that person to hold sway over us. Forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. We get forgive because he has forgiven us. Now, I know the scripture goes, we love because he first loved us. But think of how that love is rooted, that love or where forgiveness is rooted. Forgiveness is rooted in love. And we, are been, we have been called to love one another as we have been loved by God. We have been called to love our enemies. We have been called to forgive our enemies. So what do you do with that? Whatever the case, you have an opportunity today to extend true friendship and true joy to others through the seeds of reconciliation and restoration. It takes crucifying your pride, your hurts, and allowing the love of Christ to flow through you. You cannot forgive completely without receiving the complete forgiveness of Christ into your life through salvation in Christ Jesus. You're going to be hard-pressed to forgive outside of that perfectly the way we are perfectly forgiven by by Christ himself through the cross of Christ. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament about the love of Christ that controls us and leads us to the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Do you believe that Christ's love controls you? Have you allowed Christ's love to control you? See, think about that for a minute. What does it mean to have Jesus' love to control us? What does that mean? What does it mean to have Jesus' love to come in and so take over every fiber, every emotion of our very being and control us? How does Christ's love control us? Does it control you? He died for everyone, in verse 15, Paul says. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. We aren't to live for ourselves. It's not about what I can get, but it's about what I can give to others. Think about what David did to Jonathan, even after Jonathan, Jonathan's death, by offering a home and a place at the table for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Instead, Paul goes on to say, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. 
So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Do you evaluate others from a human point of view? Do you evaluate your enemies from a human point of view? Think about that for a minute. What about those who you have broken relationships with that you may have been close with at one time but are now far away from emotionally, relationally? What what was that that caused that chasm? That that wide gap between you and that person. Maybe it's time to stop evaluating that person from a human point of view. Well, Brandon, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they rejected me. And you're correct. I don't know every detail about your life. But God does. And he expects us and desires for us to stop evaluating others from a human point of view And start evaluating them from his point of view. You see, we're all sinners. Or at least we were at one time. Until we came to salvation in Jesus Christ. And when we have come to salvation in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in Corinthians that the old is gone, the new has come. We become new creations. And as new creations, we evaluate others through the lens and the light of Jesus Christ, and more specifically, through the love of Christ in our lives. So we have stopped, he says in verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Think about that. God was reconciling people to him through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Christ, so that he can have sweet fellowship with us again. If we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and we welcome him into our lives, we have now received that salvation. We have become new creations. The old self has been cast off, and we have become these sweet, sweet children of God. And we no longer act like people of the world. We act like the children of God. We act like ambassadors of God the Most High. We act, we act like people who live in the light and who live out the love of Christ. Can you say that? Can you say that about your relationships? All of this is a gift from God, he says. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, Paul says. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be a sin offering so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What Christ did for us was an offering for the sins of all humanity. He died once and for all, the writer of Hebrews said. We no longer need to make sacrifices for forgiveness of sins because he was the great sacrifice. And because of what he's done for us, we should now do for one another by bringing others into the presence of God through Christ Jesus. This is where reconciliation truly happens. 
There's a story told that during his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling across the country on horseback. They came to a river which had left its banks because of a recent downpour. The swollen river had washed the bridge away, so each rider was forced to ford the river on horseback, fighting for his life against the rapid currents. The very real possibility of death threatened each rider, which caused a traveler who was not a part of the group to step aside and to watch carefully. After several had plunged in and made it to the other side, the stranger asked President Jefferson if he would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. So the man climbed on, and shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle to the dry ground, one man in the group asked him, Tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? But the man was shocked, admitting that he had no idea that it was President Thomas Jefferson that had helped him across. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer, no, and on some of them was the answer, yes. His was a yes face. The question I have as I close is, what kind of face do you have to the world around you? Do people see a friendly face? A face that says yes? A face that shines the light of Christ? A face that shows the joy of the Lord as your strength? Or, or do people see a face that either looks the other way and says, No, I'm not available. Do you have friends that you can trust? And who can trust you? Is your word truly your bond? Are you loyal and trustworthy in all your relationships? You see, true, wholesome, sincere relationships are the key to joy, and they bring hope and restoration. Finally, I want you to consider these words this morning, uh, again from Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 5. When we, are, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship, do you hear that? Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's made us friends with God. Is that the story of your life? Is that the story of your friendships? While you and I were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, he was willing to call us his friends and do something that not even the best of all friends would do, to stand in the gap and die for us. Are you that kind of friend this morning? Take the rest of this day. Contemplate. Take the rest of this week and contemplate. And here's the point of application Though you're locked down in your homes right now, you have phones at your disposal. You maybe have email accounts or Facebook Messenger. 
reach out to people in your lives. Tell them how much you love them. Show them how much you care. Even those that you might think are your enemies. Maybe it's time to bridge the gap and be that minister of reconciliation to bridge that gap and to show them that Christ has truly changed you and that maybe he can change them too. Until next week, I love you guys. Let me say a word of prayer over you as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for your friendship. At least you're offering a friendship. I know we can reject that friendship, but God, I know that you offer it through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have reconciled us to yourself through Jesus as we believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. We then become not just friends, but children of God. If there's anybody listening to this broadcast this morning, my hope is that they would come to know you not only as Savior and Lord, but as friend and as Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would work and move in our lives this morning and throughout the rest of this time uh, together as a church, that we would be able to be ministers of reconciliation, not just to strangers, but to those that maybe we have strained relationships with. Heal us, God. Heal our relationships and heal our land. Restore to us the years that the locusts have eaten. God, start a revival, not only in our land, but in our own hearts, and let it ripple out from us into our families, our friends, and our neighborhoods. God, we love you, honor you, give you praise, glory, and honor, and thanks. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Again, God bless you. We'll see you the first Sunday of April next week. Love you. We'll talk to you soon. God bless.